Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Numbers 34. And talking about the boundaries in the land, God has ordered, and I titled this God's Ordained Boundaries. And verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan and its boundaries. So the chapter really is pretty straightforward as it lays out the boundaries of the land for the nine and a half tribes as they would receive their inheritance inside the promised land proper, if you remember. And it will be repeated in this chapter as well. Tribe of Reuben, Gad, and a half tribe of Manasseh already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan River So this is the inheritance on the western side of the Jordan River. And so he goes on to list out verses 3 through 12, the border. And he takes us from the south and goes down. I can read all this, and I will, but I'm going to explain it first. Um, He takes us from the south. We're going to be toward the bottom of the Dead Sea. So if you can picture Israel, and if not, look in your Bible maps or look at a map of Israel today and you'll get a better understanding of this. But he's going to take us from the bottom of the Dead Sea, go down southward toward Egypt, actually clip off a little bit of today what we know of Egypt proper that would be included in this boundary, in their southern boundary. And then he'll, the west, western boundary is really easy. It's called the Mediterranean Sea. So they just go up the shoreline. And what surprised me in this, because Israel never occupied all of what God describes here, is that when you read the description of the northern, it goes all the way through Lebanon. So you have Israel today and Lebanon to the north of Israel. Well, all that was included. And then it goes over, I think, to Mount Horeb and then uh, heads southward again down to the Sea of Galilee and following the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea to back to the southern border. So this is everything east of the Jordan River but going all the way from Egypt all the way through Lebanon and grabbing a little bit of Syria and a little bit of Jordan today that would have been included in the boundaries of the promised land. This is a different boundary than what God gave to Abraham, and we'll read that as well. So we'll pick up reading it, and uh, again, just if you can picture in your mind the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River feeds into the Sea of Galilee at the north, feeds out of the Sea of Galilee at the south, 
feeds into the Dead Sea at the north, so not technically a straight line, but fairly straight, and then it goes nowhere. It just dies. The Jordan River dies there in the Dead Sea, and so that's going to be the picking up toward the bottom of the Dead Sea, but not technically at the bottom. In verse 3, the southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zen along the border of Eden, and your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea. So there's the Dead Sea, what they call the Salt Sea. Your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Echabim, continue to Zen, and then on the south of Kadesh Barnea. Remember Kadesh Barnea, that's a big name in the Exodus because this was where they were originally 40 years earlier going to enter into the promised land. Right now they're camped on the east side of the Jordan River across from the city of Jericho where they eventually made their entry into the promised land. But go down south to Kadesh Barnea, then go, it shall go to Hazar, Adar, and continue to Asmon, and the border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt and it shall end at the sea. So going from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, technically taking what is a bit of the northern tip of Egypt today would have been included in this and only the northern tip because Israel won this area um, after the Six-Day War that they have most of this area today occupied. I don't know how occupied it is. It's very still a desert down there, but uh, it belongs to Israel today. As for the western border, verse 6, very short. You shall have the great sea for a border. It shall be your western border. And so that's the Mediterranean Sea to the west. Verse 7, this shall be your northern border from the great sea. You shall mark out your borderline to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out your border to the interest of Hamath. Then to the direction of the border shall end toward Zedad, and the border shall proceed to Zephron, and then it shall end at Hazar Enan, and this shall be your northern border. So as I said, you're going all the way, all of Lebanon. It includes all of Lebanon, which is today north of Israel, and then shoots across into Syria before we start heading south again. And so that is the northern border. Pick up in verse 10. This shall set out your eastern border from Hazar Enan to Shepham. The border shall go down to Shepham to Ribla to the east side of En. And the border shall go down and reach to the eastern side of the Sea of Shinnereth. So the Sea of Shinnereth in the Old Testament, they called the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Shinnereth. So just another name for the Sea of Galilee. Verse 12, the border shall go down along the Jordan. It shall end at the Salt Sea. So we've made a circuit now all the way from verses 3 through 12. This shall be the land with its surrounding boundaries. Verse 13, and Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, this shall be the land that you shall inherit by lot which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine and a half tribes. Verse 14, the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance. 
and the half tribe of Manasseh has received its inheritance. Verse 15, the two tribes, the two and a half tribes have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan River across from Jericho eastward toward the sunrise. So they're already camped on the east side of the Jordan River and Moses simply saying two and a half tribes already have their inheritance where we are currently camped. So God promised Abraham in Genesis 15:18 through 21, on the same day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So now with Abraham's uh, promise from the Lord, the borders go northward, northeast, all the way uh, toward Babylon, what we know as modern-day Iraq. And so the boundaries are quite larger than what Israel is proper today. We often think of the area of Israel today as the promised land, but God had promised Abram and his descendants to go from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. And God's promise to Abraham really encompassed a much larger area of the Middle East than what we know of today. And uh, I remember one time Dr. David Hawking, who had spoken at our church several times in years past, saying that he had a reporter call about Israel and talking about the land of Israel. And uh, and David Hawking uh, has Jewish blood in him, so he always claims that Jewish heritage. And they were asking about Israel, what belonged to Israel. And not only did he say everything on the, which is kind of today, Uh, following pretty much a bit of the boundaries that are given to us here in chapter 34 for the nine and a half tribes. They are a little bit on the western side of the Jordan River. But David said to the reporter, he said, the Lord gave us the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River as well, and we want it back. And so that kind of ended that conversation. So kind of claiming all that God promised Israel. Now, it was not until their descendants came out of Egypt, some 400 years of slavery, that they came to this place to possess the promised land in Genesis 15:16. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we're going to see war and conquest as we continue Not so much in Deuteronomy, but especially when we get in the book of Joshua and Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. We're going to see a lot of battles take place as we continue through the Old Testament. But we learn back in Genesis 15, 16, that God though he knew he was going to judge the land which would become Israel's land, he gave the people of that land 400 years to repent. Their iniquity had not yet been complete. But after those 400 years, then God brought judgment. In fact, 
I did a timeline. I put it together, got nice bullet points in my notes and everything. And, and I based the starting of the timeline off of the New Unger Bible Dictionary, mainly because the author of the New Unger Bible Dictionary, he gives a estimate of the time of Abraham, how long he lived. For example, Abraham living from 2061 B.C. to 1881 B.C. And so when you're in the before Christ or now today, they like to say before common era, uh, you're always counting to zero. And uh, Abraham, we know he lived 175 years. So Unger gave us all the starting dates. I just added the years that each of the patriarchs live, of that of Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, Moses, and Joshua. And from Abraham to Moses, we actually have just a little over 600 years. So I, got, I knew that in my head. I just wanted to make sure that what... I thought I knew for sure. I wanted to be sure that I knew what I knew. And uh, from the time the Lord made this covenant with Abraham, it was actually 600 years. He talks about the 400 years because that was the time that Israel was in Egypt. But we have to include uh, from the promise, well, Abraham lived 100 years in the land. Isaac lived 180 years in the land, and Jacob lived 137 years in the land. Seven, I think, uh, 130 years in the land. He spent 17 years in Egypt. So we have to include all the time that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob actually lived in the land before we can start counting the 400 years. So in reality, God's grace, they had 600 years before judgment would come. God used Israel to be that judgment, but God's grace gave the people of that land over 600 years before judgment would come upon them. So he names the leaders. There are nine and a half tribes, and those who are going to be casting the lots, Moses is still talking, but he's not entering into the promised land. So it's the division of the land is going to be overseen by Eliezer, the high priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and then one leader out of every tribe of the nine and a half tribes, so ten leaders, those who would occupy the promised land, and the names of these men in verse 19 from the tribe of Judah, Caleb. And I could really stop right there because I've already named of the uh, 12 guys named in this section, Numbers 34, 16 through 29, the ones that we know are most familiar to us, Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb, Joshua's counterpart, who helped spy out the land with him some 40 years late, earlier. And so the rest of these names, one from each of the tribes, but really... Uh, the names don't mean a lot to us. So what I did in my notes, I'll read the tribes for you and the names of the head, but I'm not going to read the dad's names. 
they went on to say Caleb son of and you know I'm just going to get try to get through the actual names of the guys who's going to be dividing up the land and you can read the dad's names if you want they all are sons so from the tribe of Judah we have Caleb from the tribe of Simeon we have Shimuel tribe of Benjamin Eliadad from the tribe of Dan Bucky, you thought it was from a marble movie, but it's all the way back in uh, the Old Testament. Might be spelt a little different, but tribe of Dan, Bucky, tribe of Joseph. So Joseph split between Manasseh and Ephraim. So his uh, Jacob claimed Manasseh and Ephraim as his own, Joseph's sons. So from Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Hananel, and from the children of Ephraim, Kimuel. And then Zubalan, we have Elizaphan. From Issachar, we have Paltile. Now you know why I don't even want to read these. From Asher, we have Ahayud. And from the children of Naphtali, Pedahil. And so the Lord, verse 29, commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. So Eliezer, the high priest, along with Joshua and the ten leaders from these nine and a half tribes would be involved in casting lots. We actually learn of them doing this in Joshua 14, verses 1 through 3, when they had occupied a portion of the promised land that the Lord had lotted out to them. It tells us in Joshua 14, 1 through 3, that Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and a half tribes. For Moses had given inheritance to two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. We'll get to the Levites in the next chapter. And so Joel 3.2, they divided up my land. And so God gave Israel the land according to the lot. He divided up the land and gave it to the children of Israel as their possession. So reading this chapter, talking about boundaries, caused me to think about... Uh, just some of the timeline of my life as far as ministry might be controlled, uh, might be concerned. And I kind of deem these uh, boundaries. It could be an inheritance. Sometimes it was temporary, but here's a little rehearsing. And uh, Lily is with me in every one of these things. But when I think about boundaries in my life, from 17 to 27 years old, I played in a Christian rock band. And for a season, I thought that music was God's call upon my life. In hindsight, I can look back over that time and see that God used that time to prepare me for the next season of my life. And that is to preach and proclaim the word of God. And so God used that season of music to really prepare me to share God's word with other people. And then after, uh, not really too much longer after that, 
from, uh, so I went from 17 to 28 years old, and then from 32 to 34 years old, we moved out to California to allow me to attend the School of Ministry. And this was like the no-brainer. We were in California. The school was two years. And for two years, I knew what God had for me to do. It's just I got to finish school. And so that was kind of a no-brainer for those two years. It was uh, once I was accepted in it, I committed to it. And we're just going to accomplish this. As the two years was coming to a, a close, it wasn't actually two years uh, technically, it was short by a few months. But once that was starting to kind of wind down, we began to pray and ask about where the Lord would have us. Originally, we moved to back into this area, but on the east side of our county. And I attempted to start a Calvary Chapel over there, but ended up here in 1999. In 1999, the Lord gave me a new role as the pastor of this fellowship. Also, he gave me a physical boundary. On this property, we have almost 10 acres of land. Um, and the last 23 plus years that I've been around, three times I've had people try to purchase some of the land or all of the land. And I am determined that whenever I leave, I'm leaving it intact and better than I found it. And it's not me personally doing all of this, but that's on my heart. Um, so we haven't lost a bit of our property, but it includes the church building, a house, a garage, uh, woods that we get to take care of. But also we have, uh, beyond the physical property, we've expanded our borders through a low-power radio station, WLGS, through the teaching ministry uh, on the radio called The Cleansing Word, and now we're podcasting those as well. And uh, video streaming, that's something the last few years that has been added. And uh, one of the brothers from the church emailed me on Sunday, actually, and into Monday. And he was doing, uh, it ended up getting restricted a little bit on Monday because of Internet problems. But he was ministering to pastors from India and he mentioned to me on Sunday night and that the one pastor from India, he goes, he really wants me to be more like you. And it's like, more like me, he's watching us. And so that's another pastor from India who's watching us. And I just told Tony that, you know, what he's seeing is me preaching from the pulpit. If I was doing a Zoom call with some pastors in India, I would be a little bit different in uh, how I would present myself because it'd be more conversational in that sense. But the Lord has expanded those boundaries. It's what I deem as part of my inheritance as the church. It's part of our inheritance. It's working the soils of the hearts of men, women, and children that are touched by the ministry of this church. And I think... You know, that's just me rehearsing a few things about my life, but I think it's a good exercise for all of us. What's the boundaries that the Lord has given us? What, where has he placed us? Maybe, maybe even rehearsing how he's got us to this point. Um, how did we get here? Rehearse those boundaries. It 
could be encouraging or maybe it'll have you praying to expand my boundaries. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We continue on. We're in Numbers 35, looking at the city of refuge. Cities, I should say, plural. But actually, he begins by talking about 48 cities that were given to the Levites. I'd already mentioned the Levites did not have an inheritance in the proper uh, either side, the promised land proper, talking about the nine and a half tribes, nor on the eastern side of the Jordan River where Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh took their inheritance. But the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1 of chapter 35, in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from in from the inheritance of their possession. You shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. In the common land of the cities, which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward about a thousand cubits all around. You shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west 2,000 cubits, on the north 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Verse 6. Now among the cities you shall that you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities that you shall give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you shall give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel from the larger tribes. You shall give many from the smaller tribes. You shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to their inheritance that they each receive. So the Levites were not to receive any allotted inheritance in the promised land because the Lord said in Numbers 18.20, I am your portion, your inheritance among the children of Israel. So all they needed is common land for their animals. They really didn't have to grow wheat or feed or even raise the animals. They no doubt would have the animals. They would uh, have animals would do what animals would do. They would have um, baby lambs and baby cows and oxen and all the things that would go with that. But they received a lot of these through the gifts given and so a lot of the grain offerings went to the Levites, went to the priest, and, and they had provision, but also land for their animals around each of these cities. So a couple of things about this. God instructed 48 cities to be spread out throughout the land. Larger tribes gave up more cities. Smaller tribes gave up fewer cities. But they set the priest and the Levites, kind of placed them Throughout Israel, Yahweh provided teachers to remind the people of the things of God. The Levites served the priest. They served at the tabernacle or at the temple. God 
allowed many of the Levites became scribes. They became teachers. We learn about that in Nehemiah chapter 8. And God spread them out throughout the promised land, not only as teachers to remind the people of the things of God, but also to ensure that the Levites would be in the midst of the 12 tribes to remind the 12 tribes that the Levites belonged to Israel, even though technically they didn't have an inheritance. And so the six cities of refuge, picking up in verse 9, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities as cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there, and they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger. So the avenger there in verse 12, goel is the Hebrew word. It means kinsman or redeemer. Here they are avenging the death of a family member, and every family had their kinsman, their goel. Verse 12 again, they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan River. So on the side where they were currently encamped for the cities, uh, tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and three on the other side of the Jordan River, the nine and a half tribes. And once, they, they don't name the cities in this chapter, but once we read about in Joshua's day of their setting up the cities of refuge, we will see that they were actually spaced out uh, on each side of the Jordan River, You had two cities kind of in the north, two in the middle of Israel, and two toward the south. So it kind of spaced it out that if someone accidentally killed someone, they had to run as fast as they could and get to a city of refuge. It would be bad if they were all in the south and you were in the north. So they were fairly spaced out throughout the land. Verse 15, six cities shall be for refuge for children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him, verse 16, with an iron implement, so that he dies, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in his hand, by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall be put to death. Verse 18, if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die and he does die he is a murderer and the murderer shall be put to death the avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death when he meets him he shall put him to death and if he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait hurls something at him so that he dies or in enmity he strikes him With the hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer, and the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. In verse 22 through 28, however, so here's the other side, the accidental side. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing 
it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he has fled and the avenger of blood finds him outside the city limits of the city of refuge and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. That's a lot of reading. And almost made it through the chapter on that. So what we have, 48 cities in totality. Six of the 48 cities were to be deemed as cities of refuge, a place where if someone killed somebody, And whether they killed somebody on purpose or accidental, if they fled to the city of refuge, it meant that they could have a legal trial. And then by trial of their peers, it would be decided by the judges of that city. It would be decided what would happen to the individual who killed somebody. If it was deemed accidental, then they would be returned to the city of refuge that they fled to. And that person would have to live in that city until the high priest died. So one of the problems with this, if we think about this, high priests were appointed for a lifetime. And so, you know, tough luck if you had an accidental killing when the high priest was just appointed and he's got a long life ahead of him. You might as well just get comfortable because you're not going anywhere. And there are uh, a couple examples. We're going to touch back on the city of refuge. Abner um, Saws, King Saws, commander in chief, was killed just outside the gate of Hebron, which is a city of refuge, by Joab uh, because. Abner had killed Joab's brother and he was just outside the gate of the city of refuge. And then uh, I believe it's Solomon who allowed someone who had cursed his father to remain alive as long as he stayed in the city. And we're going to discover Uh, in 1 Kings that this person decided that they didn't need to stay in the city and it cost him his life. And so if they were found guilty, they would be turned over to the avenger of blood to be put to death. That's something in itself. I mean, as the right now, technically for our family, the head of our family, I'm the oldest male in our family. So I would qualify in this even for my I don't know, I was going to say even for my sisters, maybe, but especially for my immediate family, I would be deemed the Goel, the avenger of blood, and it would be up to me to accomplish this. That would be something hard. You didn't turn it over to the authorities to let the authorities handle it. 
Uh, the authorities turned it back over to you if found guilty, and you handled it. But if found innocent, then they had to remain under the protection of the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. I think that's significant. We'll come back to that in a moment. 29 through 34, the end of this chapter. These things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against the person for the death penalty. So on two or three witnesses, we have that in the Mosaic law simply being repeated here again. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. You shall take no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. And you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. So God said blood defiles the land. The only way that you can wipe out this defilement is by uh, killing those who defiled the land with the blood. And uh, we find an example of this as well with King Saul and his sons where the land where David allowed the descendants of King Saul to be put to death because Saul unjustly um, killed the Gladites, I believe. I'm pulling all this from memory. But uh, if you remember when Joshua came into the promised land and there was people of the promised land that cut a deal for protection, they lied they made up a huge story. They said they were from far, far away and they were up the road a couple of miles, but they didn't ask the Lord. Joshua and the leaders didn't ask God and they got themselves in a deal and King Saul actually killed some of these people who came under the protection of Israel by covenant. And uh, David turned over some of the descendants of Saul because they had polluted the land. And so this plays out. We'll find it playing out, what's being said here. So the cities of refuge were to ensure that justice thrived throughout the land in order that the guilty would be punished, the innocent would not die unjustly. They were to maintain true justice. There were to be no buyouts, no bribes, um, Justice was to rule the land. And God said, because I dwell in the midst of the land. And God said in Deuteronomy 16, 19 and 20, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take bribes, nor for the bribe blinds the eyes of the wise, twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So think about blood polluting the land. Just a couple of verses before we get 
to the next and final chapter of Numbers. In Matthew 23:35, Jesus mentioned the blood of righteous Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. Cain, his brother, killed him. And Jesus in Matthew 23 and 35 said, On that generation, all the blood, righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, was coming upon that generation. God said in Genesis 4.11 of Abel, talking to Cain after he killed Abel, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood was crying out for justice. And in Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice from Cain than that of Cain, though he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though it he, not though, through it, he being dead still speaks. That blood still speaks. But there is a better blood than that of Abel, and that is Jesus Christ in Hebrews 12:24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the, sprink, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The city of refuge is a great picture of Christ in whom we are to find our refuge. We each have a death sentence over us. We each must flee to our refuge, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.9, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And next, we must declare our guilt. So when they, a manslayer would run to a city of refuge, and it could be a woman slayer, I guess, uh, accidental killing, you run to the city of refuge. If you can run faster than the avenger of blood, I guess, how would you know? But maybe every year they'd have... Uh, an avenger of blood race that you'd know how fast you'd have to run because all you have to do is beat out the avenger of blood and you could make it to your refuge. But they would have to declare when they came to the city of refuge what they had done, that trial could take place. And we have to declare, and the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once forgiven, we discover that Jesus then, being the avenger of blood, instead of requiring our death, he died in our place through his death on the cross. Where 1 Peter 2:24 says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And then we have freedom, the death of the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus has died. He's resurrected again. So we have freedom, as Jesus said in John 10:9, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So our freedom is in Jesus Christ, who becomes a type of,
of a city of refuge for us in whom we must take refuge. Jesus is the high priest of God. He has died, and through his death we have been set free. The last chapter, only uh, 13 verses long, I think. Yes. So, we have here the daughters of Zelophehad. If you remember, they had come to Moses in Exodus or Leviticus. Let me find the right path. I'm trying to skip ahead. It's working horribly for me. Can't find it. All right. Maybe we'll come upon it if I just go in order. They'd already come to Moses somewhere. (laughs) I thought I was going to see it real quick in my notes, but I didn't come across. Um, And they said, look, our dad, I'm sure they didn't say look to Moses like that, but our dad died in the wilderness. He did not commit the sin of rebellion like Korah and the 250 that followed Korah. But our dad had no son. We're five daughters of one man who had no sons. And we don't think it's fair that we don't get an inheritance in the land. And Moses said, well, let me ask the Lord about that. And the Lord said to Moses, they're right. They should get an inheritance. Now, this is the tribe of Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, who now comes to Moses and said, there might be a technicality on this one that we want to make sure that we're not going to lose out on our inheritance. And so we've already learned about these five daughters. They're going to receive their inheritance. Now the chief fathers of the family of the children of Gilead and the son of Malchir and the son of Manasseh and of the families of the sons of Joseph came near to spoke before Moses, before the leaders and the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give an inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now, if they were to marry to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers. It will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. So Manasseh, they their lawyers got together and said, wait a minute, we could lose some of our tribal land if the girls marry outside of the tribe. And so it was a legitimate concern that Moses brought, uh, they brought first to Moses and then Moses would bring before the Lord. Remember um, Moses' father-in-law Jethro told Moses that if you keep judging these people on your own, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to burn the people out. And then he said, you should choose 70 elders and, uh, you know, elders over a thousand, elders over hundreds, elders over 10. Let them handle the little matters, but you take the heavier matters 
and it will be easier for you. That's Exodus 18:22. And that's exactly, this is one of those harder matters. Maybe they brought it to a lower judge and they said, I don't know, let's take it to Moses. And so they were worried about losing the land. And the year of Jubilee is when all property was turned back over to the original inheritors, those who inherited the land, the original owners. Every 50 years, they would receive the land back. I think it's great. We talked about it. Uh, your parents, let's just say here in Illinois, they had farmland that they inherited from their grandparents. They decided that they were going to squander the land away and then you get nothing. Well, if we had the year of Jubilee, uh, that land would turn back over to you. So even if the parents messed up, the kids would have an opportunity to work the land again of their forefathers. So the solution Five through nine, Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, what the tribe of the sons of Joseph speak is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So they're of the tribe of Manasseh. Then they had to marry from the tribe of Manasseh. And technically, since the tribe of Manasseh was split half on one side and receiving their inheritance on the western side of the Jordan River, the other half, and this is the half we're talking about, who would receive an inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan River, they could only marry it. It was a big tribe, but only half that tribe. So all the guys in our tribe, you can choose, but it has to be of our tribe. Verse 7, so the inheritance of the children of Israel may not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of their fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his father. Let me read that again. Verse 8, every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of Israel. So a daughter who had no brothers, so she's got to receive an inheritance. Any daughter in that situation, they had to marry within their tribe, whatever tribe they were from. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. And so this was a ruling that was not only for the daughters of Zelophehad, but also any daughter who would receive an inheritance in the nation of Israel. She had to marry within that. And we think, well, that's so unfair. What if, you know, she met a guy from uh, Ephraim and she's from Manasseh and he's really cute. It seems so unfair. Well, there's wisdom in obeying the word of the Lord. One, just think about in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? So there's wisdom in walking in the ways of the Lord and God desiring that the people should 
remain distinct within the land, the 13 tribes altogether, including that of the tribe of the Levites. And I'll explain why I think it's important as we close out this chapter. We've got a few more verses, though. So the application, just as the Lord commanded Moses, verse 10, so did the daughters of Zelophehad for Malah and Tizrah and Haglah and Milcah and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of the father's brothers. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, of the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the father's family. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And so they did what they were commanded to do. They were obedient to the Lord's command for their lives. So first of all, two things I'd like to point out from this story. First, we see the nation of Israel. was not only to stay pure as a people, but distinct within their tribes. And I think this is important because of their adherence to the law of God. Ultimately, this ensured that Jesus came from the line of David, who is of the tribe of Judah. And we learn about Jesus's genealogy from Matthew and Luke. And that that tribal distinction remained. And then second, the chapter reminds us of our own inheritance, which comes through us through faith in Jesus Christ. And just meditate on a few of these verses that talks about our inheritance. In Acts 20, 32, the Lord promised to build up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In Ephesians 1, 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Hebrews 9, 15, that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant by the means of his death for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant, first covenant that those who were called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance and the Lord has promised us, 1 Peter 1, 4, to an eternal inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you. That sounds like a pretty good inheritance. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book. You've given us a lot of detail, a lot of organization. As Moses is preparing the next generation to enter into the promised land, something that he himself could not do. But he is preparing the next generation. It could be for us, Lord, and we're all a bit older in this room tonight. And uh, in my heart, in many ways, Lord, I would like to help that next generation to be prepared for whatever they might face. Lord, for many of us, are well, there's a lot less race in front of me and a lot more race behind me than when I first started running that race with you when I was seven years old. But if I can help, Lord, today, those who are children or teenagers or even young adults or 30-somethings or 40-somethings to realize their uh, full potential that you have awarded them 
as followers of Christ. For us here in this room tonight, Lord, help us that we might set examples for others. And Lord, maybe for us, Lord, it's thinking about those boundaries that you've given us. Maybe you've given us right where we're supposed to be and we're just to make the best of what you've given us. Or maybe, Lord, you have um, a desire for us to expand those borders, those boundaries. Maybe it's going to be a relocation. Maybe it's going to be um, a new job. Maybe it's going to be a new ministry. Lord, help us to be open to you. And we pray, Lord, that each of us here tonight, and those hearing my voice on the radio, maybe through video or later time, I pray, Lord Jesus, they know you as their refuge. That, Lord, we might be free to go out and in because you, Jesus, our high priest, has died, resurrected from the grave. Today you're at the right hand of the Father that we might have life, life everlasting. We thank you and give you praise this night. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, and that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.